morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Um, if you have not been with us, this is our text that we've been using uh, for our Advent celebration uh, this year. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, specifically looking at uh, two verses uh, there, verses 19 and 20. Love to have you join us. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along in the pew back in front of you, then there is a Bible and you can find this reading on page 954 of that particular uh, Bible. Or you can always download our Grove Church app and you can go to the Bible tab and find out the information there. Colossians uh, chapter 1. Let me just re re read these verses and remind you of them. Verse 19. For God was pleased... To have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I don't know if you're like our family, but we have, uh, we like to watch Christmas specials. We like to watch, um, we have specific ones that, you know, actually we watch a lot of them. Uh, you know, we always look for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Frosty is always in there at some point, uh, which we've done. But there are certain uh, spe specials and Christmas movies. And even my wife was saying, I just want to be home and make cookies and watch Christmas movies. Um, and, and so I, hopefully we'll get that in. One of my favorites is... Um, is the Grinch who stole Christmas, and not the cartoon version, although that's good, but the Jim Carrey version. I don't know if you've seen that one, but my family just about has that memorized. I mean, I'm just saying, and so uh, we try to work it into normal conversation as a family, which gives you some insight into our dysfunction. Um, but we watch Elf and, you know, Christmas Story and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, the edited version most of the time. Um, you know, we, we work it through, and I don't know if you remember, and of course, we always look forward to a Charlie Brown Christmas. You've got to have Charlie Brown and good old Chuck as a part of the Christmas celebration. Um, do you remember, do you remember, um, it was probably two or three years ago, that a Charlie Brown Christmas turned 50. Do you remember that? It turned 50 years old, and it, it's pretty staggering to me, because I, I was actually reading an article about this particular Christmas special, and uh, on a, uh, from a, a website called Think Christian. And one of the things that this author, the insights that he said is, this is not a, a this is, it's a staggering that this show is still around. Because if you think about it, it's, it's sort of melancholy in its tone. The, the soundtrack for Charlie Brown Christmas is sort of, uh, not minor key, but it's just sort of slow. It's kind of methodical in its, in its way. And, and then he says, do you, do you remember the dialogue is not, it's pretty slow dialogue as, as the story moves along. Do you, do you remember how a Charlie Brown Christmas begins? Do you remember the first line of a Charlie Brown Christmas? Let me remind you. Let's. He starts out, the first line of the Christmas special is, I think there's something wrong with me. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. And 50 years on, it's still playing in millions of homes every single year. Pretty staggering. Why would that be? Let me just read to you a few words from Stephen Woodworth in his article. The reason is quite simple. The reason is that I am Charlie Brown. And you, if you're honest, are Charlie Brown as well. A Charlie Brown Christmas has endured because it's true. 
And its truth is not merely found in the fact that Christmas can bring about a period of, uh, not found in the fact that Christmas can bring about a period of depression for many, but also in the fact that it too often our commonly shared experiences about family and joy and community fail to come to fruition at this time of year. Charlie Brown's Christmas is sincere. It's a sincere Christmas that refuses to hide behind glazed hams, perfectly trimmed trees, or plastic smiles on greeting cards. It's an honest Christmas that speaks to the reason why the very first Christmas was so utterly necessary. It's an honest Christmas. It refuses to hide behind the glazed hams and perfectly trimmed trees and plastic smiles. It's a sincere Christmas. It was a dark night. At first night, the shepherds were in the field watching their flocks. The shepherds who were the poor, they were the outcast of society. And on that night, an angel came. An angel from heaven came to announce the birth of the Savior. And then an angelic host came and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Into that dark night, into that night, those shepherds there, God came. The message of God came that peace had come to the earth. Into that night, peace had come. Into the darkness of that night and into the darkness of our lives, peace has come. The incarnation of Jesus Christ announces that peace is possible. The incarnation of Jesus Christ announces that indeed peace has actually come to earth. Our text in Colossians says this, for God was pleased to have all of the fullness dwell in him in Christ, the incarnation. We studied that our first week in our series. And last week, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The incarnation, the wonder of it, the purpose of it for reconciliation by making peace. By making peace. Peace has come on earth. Has peace come in your life? First, is, first thing I want to recognize is that there is a peace that is on offer. The scriptures tell us that there is a peace that is on offer for us. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross... As Christians, the first thing we recognize is through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ that we are called into peace with God, peace with God himself. The incarnation is significant. It's because through Jesus Christ becoming man, there is a way for humanity to live at peace with God. We are not born at peace with God. Though we are his image bearers, we are actually enemies of God. We are actually desiring to do our own thing, live our own lives, be our own God. We are not at peace with God until we understand what it is, who Jesus Christ is, who lived the perfect life, who died a sacrificial death, who rose again on the third day. And when we entrust ourselves to him, then we are at peace with God. We are at peace with him. That therefore all of the punishment for our sins has been taken up in Christ and, and only in Christ. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are at peace with God. 
He's reconciling all things. That includes humanity. It is possible to live at peace with God. It is possible to be at peace with him. And so there is a peace. And a part of that peace is a peace with God. Ultimate peace is to be at peace with God. And then there is, for those who are at peace with God, then there is the peace of God, or the peace that comes from God himself into the lives of those who are the children, those who are his children, those who are his followers. There is the peace of God. Or in Philippians chapter 4, says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You who are at peace with God because you've entrusted yourself to Christ, then for us who are Christians, there is a peace of God that he gives into our lives, that he puts into our lives. And it is a peace that transcends all understanding. There is a peace that transcends our circumstances. It's a peace that's not dependent upon everything going well in your life. It is a deep peace. It is a lasting peace. It is a supernatural peace. It is a peace that is only known to the child of God. If you're here this morning, then there is a peace, a deep, transcendent, rich peace that is on offer for you as a child of God. Peace has come to the earth. There's a blogger and writer, Christian writer, uh, Courtney Rissig is her name. And she was writing about Christmas and about this piece. About, and she says this. This line from O Holy Night has been ringing in my ears this Christmas season. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Doesn't that sound like our world? Do you ache? Are you weary? Is your Christmas season playing in the minor key? There is much to hope for, but also much for making us longing, long for something better. Even in Christmases of plenty and joy, difficulty can often be intermixed. Maybe you are enjoying the wonder-filled eyes of your children's first Christmas memories, but you hold painful memories or unfulfilled longings along with the joy. Maybe your life is finally full with the things you prayed for, but the cost was more than your heart can bear. Or maybe you have none of these things, just ache, just pain, just life in the minor key. It's because I'm Charlie Brown and so are you. Amidst the eggnog and the holly and jolly of it all, there is a realization that your child is married and you have to share them for the holidays. There's the realization that life is hard. I, I sat with a man in the hospital this week for a couple of hours as we prayed for God to heal his wife. Don't know. Our new executive pastor has all of his house and all of his belongings all packed up in a trailer. They're making their way to Minnesota. Life has turned completely upside down on a venture. Don't know. 
woman that my wife works with, who's a divorced single parent of two children, will be spending Christmas by herself as her children are going to be with their father. We need peace. We need peace into each of these situations. The incarnation says peace has come. Into the situations of your life. I don't know them all. The incarnation says peace has come. True, deep, rich peace that transcends your circumstances. Transcends your realities. The incarnation says peace has come. Transcendent, real, supernatural peace of God. So how can we, as God's children, secure this peace? How can we take a step towards this peace this Christmas season? I want to give us three disciplines of peace. Three disciplines of peace. These I've learned from Tim Keller, and I just want to share with you three disciplines that can help us start as Christian people, start towards the road of peace that transcends all circumstances. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, 6, I, I read to you, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by, pra by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the, God of, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing that I want to suggest to you, the first discipline that helps us towards the peace of God is thanking, is thanking. Look at what he says here in verse 6. Of, he says, uh, don't be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. With everything, in everything, make your petition to God with thanksgiving, combined with thanksgiving. Notice when the thanksgiving comes. It's not after the answer has already arrived. It's not after you've received what you've actually prayed for. Your thanking comes first. We're coming to God in thankfulness with our requests. Thanksgiving is a part of the petitioning to God himself. The order matters. Why? Because it's part of the secrets to the peace of God. When, when I was in college, I was my senior year in college, I, I knew that I wanted to, I knew that I wasn't going to use my major in, in broadcasting, uh, but was going to actually pursue some form of ministry. And my experience had been with Young Life and Youth for Christ. And so I thought I was going to move in that particular direction. That was the desire. And that's what I had, my, my, my particular direction was in life. Um, there was one position uh, with Youth for Christ in uh, Illinois that I was interviewing for that I really wanted, that I really sensed that this is, this is where God was calling me. This is what I was supposed to go and do. Um, and so I was praying towards that end because why not? I mean, that's what you, this is what God's, God's calling me to go be and do. Um, I, I didn't get the job. And so here I am now. I'm graduated, a college graduate with a degree uh, from a Christian school, a Christian college, and I go home to live with my parents because I succeeded um, and went back out to be a camp counselor because that's why you get a degree is to go be a camp counselor. Um, but it was actually not a part of my plan. But then um, there I rekindled a relationship with a youth pastor friend of mine 
at camp. And by the time I got home from camp that summer, then there was a message on my parents' answer machine from that youth pastor asking me to apply for his job as a youth pastor. I had no, cons- I had no thoughts of being a pastor because pastors are old, boring guys. I know, I'm with you, Irv. I applied, and I got the job, and entered into 11 of the most formative years of my professional life. I didn't know enough to pray for, I I prayed for what I wanted, I prayed for what I thought God was doing, but I didn't realize how God how God was at work. God gave me what I would have prayed for if I knew what God knows. God said, no, I want to call you to the ministry. I want to make you a pastor, and I want to put you here so that you can, you can be formed and understand what it is to be a pastor. So he says, we're not going there. You're going here. I didn't know enough to pray that God was working out all things. Instead, I was disappointed. Instead, I was frustrated. Instead, I thought of myself as, as having hardly a future because I was going out with a college degree to, as a camp counselor. Oh, when we come to God, we pray to him, saying, God, I am making my requests known to you. I am praying my desires to you, my sincere desire, but I thank you that you know all things that you know ultimately what is best for my life and that you are working out all things for my good and for your glory, right? When Jesus was on the cross and his disciples and his followers were staring at Jesus on the cross, I wonder how many of them lost their faith. You wonder? They did. Remember the road to Emmaus? The two men were walking and they were disciples and they were talking to one another and Jesus enters the conversation and they said, we thought he was the one. But there he is. We thought he was the one. They walked away from the cross and lost faith. They were staring at the greatest love and all of act of love in all of human history and they walked away losing their faith because they didn't understand how God could possibly be using this for his good. They didn't understand how God could possibly be using this situation to bring about the remedy that all of world of all of human history needed. You see, we've come to God with thanksgiving because we know that God is working out all these things for our good. And when we know that God is doing these things, then it is a step towards peace. I don't like my circumstances. I don't know the future. I don't know what's... But God, I do know. And God is working out all these things. So pray. So let your petition come. But in thanksgiving, because God knows all things and is working out all things in your life. A step towards peace is thanking. Is thanking. Second of all, a step towards peace is thinking. It's thinking. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds. 
Guard your hearts and minds. Whatever is, the passage in Philippians 4 goes on and, and goes on to say, whatever is, whatever is lovely, whatever is to, to rejoice in these things, whatever is beautiful, whatever is lovely, says, um, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you want to have peace, then it requires thinking. You know, there's that song that I'm not sure how it ended up being on so many Christmas CDs. Um, You know, my favorite things. Maybe it's just because it's about favorite things. But, you know, it says, when the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. Well, that's one way of thinking, right? Oh, I'll think about my favorite things. And that's sort of right. Paul says, but when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you're anxious, think about the basic truths, the fundamental truths of Christianity. When, we, when we, you read secular writing about anxiety, about, about, about fear, they, 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 go directly to, they go directly to techniques. Right? If this is where you are, then what you need to do is control your negative thoughts. You need to change your life. You need to get on an exercise program. You need to change your diet. You need to maybe pamper yourself because you're being too hard on yourself. You, they go to techniques. What they don't say is, oh, you're dealing with stress. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with, with fear. Think about the big things in life. Think about the big questions. Who are you? Why are you? What are human beings? What is the meaning of life? Where did you come from and where are you going? Let's think about the big questions. No, people say, oh no, that's not gonna help, that's not, that doesn't help me deal with my fear. But that's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, think about these things. Think about these things. Go back to the basics. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to think about these big questions of life. Isn't there another way to peace? Yeah, there is. There's a, people are pursuing peace in a whole bunch of ways. But it's a stupid pursuit of peace. It's a stupid pursuit of peace. I was in a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was talking about his son-in-law. And he was sharing some of the frustrations about his relationship with his son-in-law because his son-in-law had student loans, and, um, th- and it turned out that these student loans had actually gone into collections. And so he was having a you know, father-in-law, son-in-law kind of conversation uh, about these things and said, do you, do you know that these have gone into collections? And the young man says, what does that mean? He says, well, that's not good. Um, so he says, but didn't you see these things coming to your house, these envelopes? Oh, yeah, I saw them all the time. But I knew there was bad stuff in there, so I never opened them. He had perfect peace, that boy. But it's stupid peace. Because he wasn't willing to think about the realities of life. He wasn't willing. And that's how some of us go through life. Saying, yes, you know what? I, 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 there's a peace that comes through numbing our, our, the realities of life through drugs and through alcohol. There's a peace in life that comes by just going and shopping our way through life. There's a peace that comes by playing video games all day. But it's a stupid piece. It's not a real piece. It's not a transcendent piece. It's a stupid piece. Christianity 
the incarnation offers a smart piece and says, think about the basic truths of life. Think about the basic truths of the Christian faith, that there is indeed an almighty God and that you were made by him in love, that the world has turned away from him and that at infinite cost to himself, God came back in the form of Christ Jesus and has begun the redemption of the world and one day he will make everything absolutely right. One day everything is going to be okay. And that means that you are valuable. That means you're a part of a bigger narrative. You're a part of a bigger story that God is doing. Think about these things. Think about these things. Allow these things to capture your heart. If we're going to have peace, then we need to be thanking. We need to be thinking. And thirdly, we need to be loving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your heart. How can we get through life and guard our heart? Isn't that a question? How can we get through this life guarding our hearts? The Stoic philosophers thought about this, and they said the way in which you, the way in which, you know, if, if you actually give your heart to somebody, then you're going to get hurt. If you actually set your heart on something, then if you set your heart on your job and then you get fired, you're devastated. If you set your heart on your family and your children go wayward, all of a sudden you, you have a total lack of self. If you, if you set your heart on your marriage and you end up divorced, then all of a sudden you're just crushed. You're de- so the Stoics said the thing to do is just don't set your heart on anything. You can have preferences. Just don't, set, don't, don't give your heart to something. Because otherwise, you'll be hurt. You don't want to be hurt. So therefore, you can have preferences. You don't, you don't give your heart to your children. You just prefer them over other children. The neighborhood, the neighborhood kid's there, and your kids are here, and they say, yeah, I kind of prefer you over them, because whatever. C.S. Lewis says, to love all that is, to, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. C.S. Lewis says, yeah, you can become a stoic. But don't think that by not giving your heart at all, no, you can protect your heart. But it's going to become hard. It's going to become brittle. You will cease to be human. You will be a robot. To love is to be vulnerable. To not love is to be inhumane, to be inhuman. How are we to go through this life to guard our hearts? It is, if you don't want, if you don't set your heart on things that of the world, then you won't get hurt. But if you don't set your, if you don't love, then you'll become calloused and hard. How can we do this? It's to set our hearts on the Prince of Peace. We need to set our hearts ultimately on the Prince of Peace. 
Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, he, 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 the Prince of Peace lost peace. In the garden, he pleaded with his heavenly Father. He sweat drops of blood. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus went on trial, an unfair trial. Jesus was beaten. Jesus went to the cross, and on the cross cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the very Prince of Peace, on the cross, lost peace so that you and I might be able to know the peace that transcends all understanding, the peace of God. When we set our hearts on him, when we had set our hearts on that, then we can begin to know peace. Then we can begin to take another step towards the peace of God. My prayer for you and for us this Christmas season is not that you have the best gingerbread cookies in the neighborhood, but that you take a step towards understanding the, the resources that are available to you in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of, of Christ. Stephen Woodworth, in his article on a Charlie Brown Christmas, says, Frederick Buchner wrote, once wrote, if you do not hear in the message of Christmas something that must strike some as blasphemy, and others as sheer fantasy, the chances are you have not heard the message for what it is. It is a message of hope and of joy and of rescue that reaches into the most broken of hearts and promises restoration. It is a message that can only be called good news if it has come to do away with all that is bad. It is a message that promises great joy for those like Charlie who are no longer fooled by the world's twinkling lights and Santa Claus parades. The sort of people who wait all year long for this honest 20-minute reminder that although it's dark, the light has come. Charlie Brown says, does anyone know the meaning of Christmas? Linus says, I do. Do you remember? And the lights go down and the spotlight's on him. And Linus says, fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Prince of Peace for you. Let's pray. Father, we can seek peace in a whole variety of ways, and we have. And we confess, I confess, that I've spent more time pursuing stupid peace than I care to admit. But Father, will you help us to take a step towards smart peace, that we might understand what it is, the fruit of knowing that peace that transcends all understanding, that we might be able again to give our hearts to you and set our hearts on you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.